My name is Allison, and I will be reading our sermon scripture today. That scripture is 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 15. I will be reading out of the NIV translation. Please feel free to use your, your phones, if you like, to look up whichever translation is your preferred. And we will read the scripture together this morning. Heavenly Father, please open our eyes, open our ears, open our minds, and open our hearts, Lord, to the words that you want to speak to us this morning. 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 15. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. This is the word of the Lord. God is good all the time. What if we uh, just read that scripture and I said, all right, let's go home now. <laughs> like, oh, how am I going to preach on this today? Um, so I, I covet your prayers because I think this is very, I mean, this series is very important. And this is not the one I want. Um, it's a very important series. Uh, we're taking a second look at women in the Bible, and uh, maybe this, uh, if you're here for my first week, um, I spoke, uh, my sermon was entitled Eve, we looked at Genesis 2 and taking another look at Eve, um, and I made an argument for um, looking at the scripture differently than you may have in been taught or received in churches growing up or, or coming up. Um, but then after this, Paul brings up Eve, Adam and Eve, and the dynamic between their relationship. And maybe you're saying, taking a second look at Dave's sermon, <laughs> because it seems like a different take, right? Undermining, um, or I was uh, taking a different stance than Paul is on the relationship between Eve and Adam. And so I'm just gonna stand in silence and then pray a little bit and then we can continue. God, thank you for your word and thank you for your church and your people and the many gifts that are represented in this place. And we know that you have gifted and called individuals in this room 
um, into ministry, into their life vocations, um, living that out in the world, in their job workplaces, in the marketplace, um, not just coming to church on Sunday, but um, living out their call and their gifts, um, where they're at, where, where have you placed them, where they're rooted. And so I pray that you give us all a spark and confidence to um, live out of our gifts and find a new meaning in the things that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so I wanted to confess, like, I think I may represent many young men um, who have come up uh, called to full ministry. Initially, I was in the parachurch with campus ministries, uh, but then after that, going into church ministry, being called to be a pastor, that there's a certain, there's a natural ambition. And I was not immune from having ambition. And naturally, you know, I wanted to church plant from a very, even when I was not in the church, I wanted to church plant. And when thinking about church planting, I thought about personality and my makeup. And a lot of things came into focus, or I assumed a lot of things. And some of the things that I assumed were, was, I want to be a church planner because what I don't want to work for anyone else, right? It's like an entrepreneur in the business world, right? I don't want to work for a boss. I want to be my own boss. This is how naive I was, right? I want to be my own boss. I don't want to have to be a children's director and then a youth director and then work my way up to finally being some sort of associate pastor and then finally in my 60s I can have my own church be the senior pastor of the church, right? A big church. And so I was like, no, I'm going to church plant because all old churches of that are dying out there. They're all wrong. They're doing it wrong. I have the vision and the strategy to reach the next generation, the generation of young adults that are leaving the church in droves. We're not meeting them, so let's meet them. And I have the secret sauce. And 10 years into this church planting gig, I'm realizing that pastoring is so much more. And it's been so much more humbling. It's not about, oh, I'm the big vision person and I just have to articulate this vision and then all, all these other people are going to back me up, right? And like be gung-ho and on fire for this big overarching vision that everyone is going to follow and then I'll have the right people in the right places to like, you know, finally take out Mark Driscoll, right? As the Asian, like opposite of Mark Driscoll. Yes, yes, that is my, that is my master plan. And nothing happened um, as it should have happened, right? And and I've learned that part of being a pastor is not that I have this overarching vision or I know all things or I'm a great preacher that everyone is just naturally going to follow. Or I've even realized that I'm not even that good of a leader. You know, I'm not that strong of a leader. I mean, um, but more so what makes, what's making Renew Renew or what's making the, us the best that we can be 
is in the multiplicity and diversity of people and gifts that God has been bringing um, that for some reason or another invest in this community and the life of this church and God has called them here and some, a light, a passion, a fire has been lit and then gifts are emerging and people are able to do things that or articulate things or see things that I could never see. And a lot about leading is not about this glorious thing of having this great vision or being a great teacher, but actually learning to listen well, right? Learning to see people, learning how to wait patiently um, because I need to work with all kinds of different people. And if uh, yesterday's yard sale was any indication, it's like, I'm definitely not in charge of anything around here, right? Like, I am dependent on people uh, to do things, to get things done. Um, and so it's a humbling proposition. But I think many, 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 many young men, specifically in seminary, think less about what it means to love the body of Christ or love a community, like lay their lives down for a community and think more about Right? I have the goods. Or what, how can my gifts be used and I can be this hero, right? And build this church up. That, that ambition. And I'm not saying ambition is wrong or bad. And not just men have ambition, right? Women, as Allison shared last week, women have ambition, right? And are strong and are leaders and want to take charge and all of that. Um, but I think the things that I've been gaining is that the church is always Jesus' church. It's no one pastor's church or that person's church. And one of the tests for me all the time is if I just picked up and left, right, I had a midlife crisis and I went to go be, go to med school and leave Renew, like, would Renew remain in a good place, right, would continue? And I, I feel like, yeah, it's getting to that place. Um, where was I? <laughs> I'm sorry, I had a really busy week, and it was busy. <laughs> um, but Second Timothy, if you can hit, put the passage up there again, uh, taking another look at women in the Bible, and I thought I'd just take a, a short kind of uh, look at Paul and women in the Bible. Of course, we can't do an exhaustive survey of Paul and women in the Bible, but Paul is the source of a lot of what many churches you may have been a part of or grew up in or heard of have different takes on what Paul is saying about women's roles in the church. And my personal take um, is that there's nothing in the writings of Paul that specifically says women cannot preach, women cannot be pastors, women cannot teach. Now there's verses like these, there's passages like these that people may take and say, see, and draw conclusions or build a whole like ecclesiology and leadership structure of the church based on 
these small passages. And you know, when you read it just on first glance, it, yeah, it's like, oh, <laughs> this is a hard teaching. Let's avoid this, right? <laughs> if there's a new Christian who's a feminist or whatever and wants to learn about what God thinks about women and the church, I'm probably skipping this passage, right? Um, and uh, I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. For Adam was formed first, and Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. Oh, no, what? I just said two weeks ago that we take our cultural lens on Adam and Eve and assume because Adam came first or assume because she's a woman that she was the temptress, that she was the one who was deceived, that she deceived Adam, and we're there, women are the temp temptation of it all, and men are to be in authority over women. And you, how many of you have heard this in the church or been a part of churches, a know of churches, that follow this, that women are to be quiet in the church, women are not to teach or to lead or be leaders, or even in the household, uh, women are to be submissive and not uh, dominate a man. Raise your hand. Right? That's, that's, that's out there, and that's in part of it. And on first glance, it seems like, man, is that what Paul is saying? Can I somehow cut Paul, those pieces of Paul, out of Scripture? And the thing is, this may be a side thing, is when we talk about the church or like how the church is going or discipleship in the church or leadership in the church, we turn to Paul so much, right? Because he wrote letters to the church. He instructed the church. And we're like, Paul says this, Paul, 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 discipline this, you know, women this, men this, quiet this, deacons, elders, apostles, teachings, tongues. Like, what did Paul say? What did Paul say? And sometimes I think we run the risk of being like, what did Paul say? What did Paul say? And forget about Jesus, <laughs> right? What was Jesus about? How did Jesus live his life? Who did Jesus interact with? And, and the women in Jesus' life and ministry who were part of the ministry, who preached and taught and witnessed some of the first witnesses of the gospel, right? Jesus affirmed them. Jesus had radical interactions and conversations with them and crossed many boundaries and social um, propriety in order to empower the women. Are you with me, church? So part of me is like, how do, how do we put these two things together? Is it like Jesus is God, Paul was, uh, you know, Paul was, you know, an apostle, and he brought the, um, the, uh, the gospel to the Gentiles, but he's just one kind of stream, right? He's just one school of Christian thought. Is that, you know, but then what about, like, oh, isn't it Paul that said all scripture is, you know, God-inspired and, like, you know, is authoritative, like, Paul is a part of the canon, so do we just take, you know, pick and choose what he says based on what we like? If we don't like it, we just say, that, oh, that's Paul. That's not Jesus. Has anybody followed this kind of train of thought or thought about these things? Um, and as I've wrestled with this 
through the years, I kind of fall on this, like, Jesus is the grassroots person, right? The big picture person, the spirit of the law person. Jesus is God, <laughs> right? Bringing what it means, like, love, salvation, just small things to the world, right? And teaching his people, like, in Matthew's Sermon on the Mount, some of his ethical standards, how the people are to approach the Torah and the law, like, and how his presence doesn't abolish the law, but fulfills the law, like, this is how you should live out the scriptures. And we know that as a people, as a church, as Christians, we hold the Old Testament and the New Testament, right, authoritative. We don't say, oh, that, that's old school, like, take it or leave it, we'll read Psalms and, like, the happy parts. Maybe for married couples, we'll do Song of Solomon's, right? Like, you read that. Leviticus, let's throw it out. Like, you know, the prophets, it's too hard to understand. Let's throw it out. But Jesus, Jesus is all about the love. Let's, let's read that. Yes, but we hold both the Old Testament and New Testament as authority, as scripture, right? And so being the English lit major, I am always trying to find like, is the stream like what is the holistic you know approach to scripture and i kind of see jesus as like he's the vision right he's the spirit he's the theme um, of the scriptures he is the word flesh living it out dynamically and paul is like wanting to find is like the strategist right wanting to find like how do i apply this to this Ephesians, right now, what's going on in the Ephesians church? How do I approach in a gospel-centered way as a disciple of Christ? What is happening in this church? There's conflicts going on, right? And so, in specifically, in 1 Timothy here, in the second chapter, beginning in verse 8, we read, what do we read? We read that, therefore, I want men to pray everywhere by lifting up hands that are holy without anger or argument. In the same way, I want women to enhance their appearance with clothing uh, that is modest and sensible, not the elaborate hairstyles, gold pearls, or expensive clothes. Um, what's clear in the context of this chapter is that Paul is addressing specific problem areas, specific behavior areas that is specific and unique to the current time in the church in Ephesus at the time. So we, can, we don't completely know what's going on, but based on he wants men to pray instead of arguing, getting angry and arguing with each other, he's saying, men, stop fighting and arguing, right? over gratuitous things and getting mad in the church, you know, and fighting and getting into angry, maybe even violent conflict. And some say for the women, and mind you, both of these are plural words. Men, stop doing this. Women, you know, addressing rich women who are, you know, 
dressing like embellished, very embellished, and kind of flaunting um, their wealth with jewelry, with you know what they wear and dresses. And in Ephesus, it was very mixed socioeconomically church. And so I'm assuming that Paul's like, whoa, chill out on the, you know, chill out on the bling. Don't be so, don't flaunt your wealth so much. And so I think what Paul is doing here is addressing specific problem areas in the church with specific groups of people. But then we get to 11 and 12, and one thing that others have pointed out is when it says, I don't allow a woman, you might have a woman, or in your translation, you might have a wife. People translate it differently. But woman is singular. So some think it's a, even a more specific personal case uh, between a husband and a wife who are in conflict, specifically that this woman is very domineering and dominating her husband and um, kind of you know, teaching him in a domineering way. And so what we need to take out of this is woman is singular, the verbs are all singular. So it's not women or men, plural, like above, but in 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, it's a specific, one can say it, there is a specific woman, right? And um, Paul is saying, I do not allow you, this woman, who is not educated, to teach in a domineering way or to dominate your husband. Um, but if they continue, if they continue in this mutually submissive way, then they will, that will lead to salvation. Are you with me, church? Um, in Colossians, the same word for domineering or dominate is used for men. I'm trying to get the specific verse here. Uh, where's my notes? In Colossians, he says, I, don't, I do not allow men to dominate or domineer their wife. Um, the same word used for the woman um, is here, authenteo, um, to dominate. It's, it's in a negative sense. Um, so based on those two usages as being negative, you can say, I don't allow this woman to be domineering in the way she is um, with this man in this relationship. Are you with me, church? But all this is to say that Paul is addressing specific groups of people or maybe even a specific couple in this church and making a point um, in terms of conflict, right? And the way we treat one another. And we see this in other parts, in Ephesians and Colossians, you see this kind of 
uh, language of in order to have peace, in order to be reconciled, in order to be, be the church that is separate from the world and the way the world looks at things, we need to submit to one another. We should not dominate one another. We should lay down our lives for each other, right? And I think that's the spirit of what Paul is talking about. When we look at other places about using different gifts, prophecy, teaching, blah, 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 like uh, prophecy, teaching, exhorting, um, service, uh, gifts of mercy, uh, showing mercy, leading, giving with generosity. Paul's basic message in terms of ministry is do it, <laughs> right? Lead. He doesn't say, man, you be apostles and you do this and this stuff and you be, stand guard at the, the temple doors and women, you do the acts of compassion. It's, it's all inclusive, right? He doesn't say men or women. When he's, those lists, when he goes on teaching, preaching, apostles, it's all inclusive, men and women. It's not excluding anyone. He's saying different people have different gifts, and if you have that gift, that, that's the goal. Lead it, because if God gives it to you, then go and do it. There's no way in Scripture where he's saying, and women can't be apostles, right? In fact, in Romans, Paul names Junia among the apostles. Junia is the female, uh, a woman apostle. And for a long time, Bible translators and, you know, uh, Bible translators have uh, mistakenly or like falsely made Junia Junias, which is the male form of Junia, and nowhere in history could people find like a common usage of Junias. Like the male form of Junia, no one, like why would you just put Junias when it's Junia? Well, clearly your bias towards women cannot be apostles. But Paul does not say this anywhere in scripture. You can't preach, you can't lead. Usually he's talking about the body, right? He's talking about the body and the diversity of gifts and come together, right? Lead, if you're the head, lead as a head. If you're a hand, be a hand. If you're a foot, be a foot. If you're a teacher, teach. If you're a prophet, prophesy. And this makes sense to me. It just makes sense to me. If God can speak out of a donkey, right? God can use anyone to do his ministry, to lead in the church, to preach, to teach, to get his will done. Amen? Amen. Right? Why would we put limitations on God with uh, just a few verses, right, that aren't even our cultural context? Maybe we, they didn't, we didn't, haven't even done the work, right, to exegete, right, the culture and what's going on. And yet we take one or two lines and say, make these broad generalizations of how the church should be structured and to go. But if God wants to use someone, he's going to use it, right? He used the smallest son out of Jesse, all of Jesse's sons, right? A little shepherd boy to be the next king of Israel to defeat Goliath, right? If when we 
come upon Gideon, right? What does Gideon say? I'm the smallest person in the smallest family of the smallest tribe. Gideon was in a hole, literally scared, right? Threshing wheat where there was no wind in a pit because he was so afraid. And God called him saying, great and mighty warrior. Miriam, Hannah, Mary, Deborah, right? And we're going to hear more next week of how God calls out women to lead, to be more than what people expect, what the culture around is expecting. Amen? If God wants to use you, he will use you. And who are we to say, oh, God, you can't do that? Because remember, Paul said, or I think Paul said, Um, I think about co-opting, like how much we as people tend to co-opt other cultures or co-opt other truths and to say they're, it's ours, right? And I think the church in America it has been very guilty, the church in the West, right, has been very guilty of co-opting, right? We are the promised people. We are the people of Israel. And we are the victors, right? We are the blessed ones. And it's, it's, a, it's a small step from going from that, that co-opting being chosen to kind of the Christian nationalism that you may see in churches all around us, where it's like, USA, right? Is this a church service or is this like the Olympics with annoying Americans going, USA, USA, here's the flag, here's the flag, USA. There's, a, there's been a co-opting to make the gospel, which is for the weak and the poor, and salvation for all, all of us who are weak and poor and lost into a gospel of we are victorious, we are triumphant, we are strong, it's the emperor. And I'm going to point this out, uh, I'm going to connect this, but I'm going to point out some more about the empire. Do you know where you, we talk about Matthew Mark, Luke, and John as the gospel, right? Or we're preaching, Dave is preaching the gospel. The word gospel comes from Caesar, right? The Roman emperor, emperor, where they would proclaim, here is the gospel of Caesar. Every time he'd enter a city or kind of parade in, the good news, Caesar is bringing the good news. The Roman emperor is bringing the good news of Caesar into this place. And then Jesus, not as this powerful king or a competing emperor, but underneath comes with his misfit band of disciples, right? Ends up being crucified and dying. And people begin writing and sharing about the gospel, not of Caesar, but the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ. There's this quiet subversion, right? 
it's subversive. Right? It's the minority report. Right? It's not the majority. It's, it's underneath. That's what it means to follow Jesus. It's contra empire. It's contra the great powers. It's contra victory. It's contra popular. Right? It's underneath. It's the poor, it's the marginalized, it's the weak. That's the gospel power. So in Ephesians, when Paul is writing uh, Ephesians 2, he uses the word oikos, the root oikos, over and over again. That's household, right? And in the Roman culture, uh, they talked about the oikos of Caesar, right? Uh, Pater familias. What do you think pater means? Father. Familias, family, right? The hierarchical structure based on the father being at the top and then down to women, children, and then the servants, right? But the entire empire was seen as Caesar being the father at the top of it all, right? The head father in this hierarchical structure. And so when Paul uses oikos, instead he's using it subversively He's saying, we are being built up into the household of Jesus Christ, right? We are all coming from different directions, being pulled from our social um, locations into being the family and community of faith. Not the household of Caesar, right? But the household of Jesus Christ, who is our peace, right? And so... In the household of Christ, this is how we treat one another. We submit to one another. We don't, it's not about domination. It's not about power. It's about laying things down. And that's the household of peace. And that this is the inception, right, that the gospel puts within, the kingdom within the world's kingdoms, Right? The inception, the seed that will subvert. If we all lived out this kind of mutual love and submission, empires would tumble. That's what we're talking about. Does that make sense? Empires will tumble from underneath because we believe it's not by might or by power, right? But by the Spirit of God and by the power of Jesus Christ who died that resurrection power of life. And don't sell out. How many times do we sell out to power? How many times? Just turn on the news. How often do we see our leaders and politicians sell out to power? I want to be voted back in again, so I won't make a logical right choice based on my convictions. I'll make it based on whether I can be voted in again. But as Christians, we need to go against the grain. Against the grain. Not with the grain. Right? As a church, if we say, oh, women are not to dominate or be rule over or to speak in the church or teach or lead. Right? That's nothing revolutionary, people. That's nothing radical. That's what the world just does. Right? We're just living out messed up peopleness. We're just mis- 
living out the ways that the strong have pushed down the weak, right? Maybe the physically strong have pushed down the weak, or whoever has gained power is keeping the power by benefiting ourselves systemically. So if the church doesn't allow women to speak or to lead, that's nothing new or radical. That's just people being people, amen? Do you see it? But if the church, like Jesus, who says to the woman at the well, right, to you, as I'm giving you the living water, I am the Messiah, I am he, right? And the woman goes in freedom and passion and love and preaches to her town. Preaches, witnesses, evangelizes, apostles, whatever you want to say, a Samaritan woman. Did Jesus say, oh, no, 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 let, let a man go first. I'll send Peter with you so he can talk. No, it happened to her, and that fired up. She got the call, right? And something un Jesus unleashed in the Holy Spirit, unleashed something in her heart. And words that were deep within the well that Jesus unlocked, the well where there's water and she'll never thirst again, unlocked it. And she preached. She said, let me tell you about someone who knows me, who said everything about me like no one has ever said before. No one ever knew. And the disciples, Jesus said to his disciples, stop whining. Right? Look up and look out. Look at the people in the town are coming because of what this woman said to them. Amen? If God can do it, if God calls and sends and inspires and unlocks and unleashes, who are we to stop it? Because our bylaw says this and Paul says this and this and this and that's how we interpret it. God can do all anything. And that's this is Paul, this is the theology of Paul and ministry is, if you have gifts, use them. Use your gifts. Unleash your gifts. And so, to close, um, I pray that we become a body, a church, that fully that begins to more fully embody the households of grace, right? Christ's household. That people will be empowered and unleashed and released to lead out of their gifts, to serve out of their gifts, right? There's a reason I don't sing up there <laughs> or play the drums, because I ain't got rhythm nor can I sing, except in my shower, right? There's a certain resonance in my shower that I think like, oh yeah, I can sing. Amen, are you with me, church? And let us not put human restrictions on things that God has set free. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Um, I know there's a lot and uh, perhaps I'm guilty of taking a lot of thinking and a lot of scripture and funneling it down to 
general argument. And, but your spirit is here and you are moving and in us. And I pray that the seeds that are planted would move with your spirit, that your spirit would water and do the work of your kingdom and your transformative uh, work in our hearts. And so as we continue to worship, as we continue to eat together, commune together, may we be affirmed and encouraged by one another's words that uh, we wouldn't feel trapped uh, or cut down by one another, but that we would begin to feel free um, to live into who you're calling each of us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.